Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And welcome to the magazine rig. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, and therefore its magazine games master. Still rolled up about that Sonic 2 review. I am Luke Owen. And leaving the games arena with achy wrists, I am Ash Versus. So, yes, we thought we'd do a little bonus episode about the release of Games Master Magazine issue one, which I think, I believe, hit shelves in December and then would stay on shelves until the end of January, I think it is. Yes, that's correct. The way magazines work is they will be released the month before the date on the cover, because what that means is it's for the month leading up to january 1993 then towards the end of january issue two will come out and that will be marked as february and then that will go on into february i learned recently via sonic the comic the podcast that it's to let news agents know when to take a magazine off the shelves huh i did not know that thanks sonic the comic the podcast I don't know why I'm giving thumbs up at you because you're not Sonic the Comic the Podcast and also this is an audio medium so no one knew I was giving thumbs up at the webcam. It was implied. (laughs) And this was a fortuitous time for this magazine to launch because at this point in time, Mean Machines had split off and you had Mean Machines Sega and you had the launching Nintendo magazine system. Uh, Zero had closed its doors, Edge was still slightly in the future, but for multi-format UK magazines, computer and video games was pretty much it. Everything else was format-specific or platform family-specific. There were a few multi-format magazines, but they were multi-format in the sense they covered PC, Amiga and Atari, but didn't go near those disgusting console things. Oh, no. (laughs) 
And as you and I have discussed on this show before, like this was a golden era for video game magazines because we're about to, you know, we're pretty much now smack bang in the middle of this big boom period in the early 90s with the Super Nintendo out, the Mega Drive on the shelves. And I think it was just the perfect time for Games Master to release a magazine with the show doing so well and people being very interested in these fancy newfangled computer things. And also, as the roster of magazines grew, they became as much part of the console war, or particularly the playground console war, as the consoles themselves. So, okay, you were on the Nintendo side of the British Bulldogs divide in the playground, but were you a Nintendo magazine systems person? Were you a Super Play person? I mean, I was a Super Play person because, you know, (laughs) I was cool. I was not cool, but I was a Super Play person. But that could be a dividing line in the playground as much as anything else. And the magazines played up into it. Uh, did you? Uh, when did you start buying Games Master magazine? I was on board from issue one. I had the poster on my wall for a while. Although, and when we get into talking about the magazine itself, the cover was not what I thought it was. No, it's not like the most grabbing of covers. Like, I wasn't expecting this to be the first cover. I think it is grabbing, but that's because I thought it was something else. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, as we now start going through the magazine... The cover, it's a red and orange affair with some greens and yellows, and it is a very saturated, colourful cover. And it pictures a person wearing some facial breathing apparatus looking at a helicopter, which you see reflected in the glass of their goggles. Now, what this actually is, is to advertise they've got reviews of Desert Strike and Gunship 2000. I thought it was the diver. Oh, right. Particularly because this pilot has quite pronounced eyelashes. And so I was like, this is the diver. This is the diver on the game's rig looking up at the helicopter that's bringing Dominic to the show. Yeah. And it wasn't until years and years later when I looked at the magazine and went, oh... Okay. Yeah, because I didn't get into Games Master Magazine from issue one. I I was not an issue one buyer. I mean, I can't really remember when I I really got into buying magazines, but I do very much remember being a monthly buyer of Games Master Magazine once the show had ended. Like, I remember buying it in sort of like series six and seven, I think, was when I was really starting to buy Games Master a lot and, you know, was was an avid reader of the magazine. But I bought it way way past the show coming to an end. I'm the opposite in that I was a monthly buyer until the series ended. Ah. And then I think I drifted away a bit. I think I'd already started to drift away from Games Master Magazine a bit. I, I did become a bit of an edge person. I really liked Edge Magazine. It was a lot more serious and a lot more dry in a lot of places, but I think I was beginning to take games seriously. What a fool I was. But no, (laughs) I, I started to drift away from Games Master, but never completely. I would dip back into it throughout its entire run and i totally get what you mean as well because like i think there is a period of games master magazine where i would call it the the bubble letter era of games master magazine which is you know they changed the logo from the tv show one to a much more bubbly sort of presentation of it like if you look up they've still got like the classic games master m but the rest of it is like childish bubble letters, I guess is the only way that I could put it, even though I was a teenager when I was reading it. It's kind of impact italic. 
It's yeah. that kind of, this is a default Microsoft font as opposed to the standard Games Master fonts, which are not, as I've discovered when trying to emulate those particular <laughs> typefaces. Yeah, and then the magazine came to an end around 2018, I think, that it finally closed its doors and published its last issue. I mean, 26, 25, 26 years? That's not bad for a magazine based on a TV show. Particularly a TV show that ended in 1997. About the only thing that I can think of that even comes close to that is Doctor Who magazine that started in the early 80s, started even in the late 70s as Doctor Who Weekly, and obviously Doctor Who finished in 89, and Doctor Who magazine never stopped being monthly all the way until 2005 when the show started up again and is still going today. I think it is one of the longest direct tie-in magazines out there right now. But that had a dedicated fan base who wouldn't have any other source of information for their particular passion. Whereas with Games Master, you had CVG, you had Edge, you had more and more magazines, you had Games.tm. Mm-hmm. As time went on and lots of other magazines did appear and multi-format magazines kind of had a second wind if yeah. you will. So we're going to dive into the magazine proper now, but we thought the way that we would do this rather than go like page by page, because it's a chunky old magazine, you know, there's like 140 odd pages. It's a big old boy. And even taking out the adverts, and there are substantial adverts in this magazine, there's a lot of content. There's a lot to go through. I was surprised. I was expecting something a lot more lightweight before I started to dig into it. But no, They are creating something new. They're creating something hefty. They are giving you something firm to hold in your hand. (laughs) Well, speaking of being firm, we're going to go through the uh, network section, which is kind of the news portion of the magazine. Ash, what was was one of the articles that caught your eye? Oh, and I'll be honest, just the greetings, just the introduction, much like when we looked at Superplay, just this way of saying, hey, welcome to the magazine. And the thing that struck me the most about it was the picture of Jim Douglas, the editor, because a lot of other games magazines, the photos aren't always the most flattering or they're a bit passport photo-ish. But Jim Douglas here, he looks like he's ready to become the next member of Take That or Boyzone. This is a showing photo. This is a smooth daddy cool. Oh, he's very handsome in this photo, isn't he? He is literally one earring away from being (laughs) on top of the pops. (laughs) And we'll be seeing a lot more of him because, as has already happened, he's on Games Master. When you've got your own magazine, feature your own journalist. It's only sensible. They talk about that later on in the issue that he's on Games Master, and I pretty much they basically bury him and say that he's very bad on it. Which I don't think is very I don't think it's fair. I think he's quite alright on it. One thing they do say in this greeting is that they won't just be covering official UK releases. They will be looking at grey imports, which I appreciated at the time because at that point, Mean Machines had done it a little bit, but after they split off. Nintendo Magazine System as the official magazine wasn't going to do it. So Superplay kind of picked up the Nintendo side of things. But a multi-format magazine committing to cover grey imports, that was nice to see, particularly as, as we've covered before, after a few missteps, I became a big fan of import gaming. And just below Jim's greetings, we get to see the Games Master team. They're all lay on the ground, heads against a mock-up of the cover. And you can tell it's a mock-up of the cover because you can see the white border around the outside. <laughs> yeah. Nice try, guys. But, you know, use the guillotine, trim the edges off. And for the most part, it's names that we would have seen elsewhere in the gaming industry up until that point. It's a predominantly male team picture. In mm-hmm. fact, 95% male, I'd say. Yeah. But they all look like a relatively friendly bunch. 
And it's a group that we'll get to know quite well over the coming months, because, of course, we now have an extra magazine to cover during our monthly magazine sections. And just over the page from that is something that leads on from the previous bonus episode that we did. I think it was the previous episode. It might have been the previous, previous bonus episode that we did on Bad Influence and the first issue of that, because in that show, they plugged the future entertainment show. And we've got a write-up on it. Which feels like an inception kind of moment because you've got Games Master that's got Games Master the magazine and just had Games Master live and you're doing a write-up on the future entertainment show which was very heavily tied into Bad Influence which also had their own magazine that only went two issues and I've gone cross-eyed. But the important thing to note from this is not only was Hacksaw Jim Duggan at this event with his wood on display I, I can't get rid of him but we also had those national gaming computer championships that were teased in bad influence and it turns out that it climaxed with alan brett from nottingham defeating tony eaton from stratford in a range of games including street fighter 2 lemmings 2 and sonic 2 uh, and in the end alan triumphed and walked away with ten thousand pounds whereas tony who came second only got four thousand now £10,000 in 1992, that is a substantial amount of money. To give you an idea, if you adjust for inflation for today, look at us adjusting for inflation like a proper grown-up podcast, it's almost 21k. Oh, hello. That is not an insubstantial amount of money for playing video games, particularly as this is the time before the big fighting tournaments. This is the time before esports. This is times before... League of Legends and Fortnite and whatever. Yeah. This was for playing Sonic and Street Fighter. <laughs> this would be this would be money for a house. Exactly. And you got to meet Andy Crane, who's photographed posing next to them. He's doing the standard journalist thing. And the other photo they have of him, he's not even paying attention. He's drinking from a can of Coke. <laughs> The one thing I was slightly disappointed about this article was, though, they kind of run down all of the people that were dressed up as mascots, but there was no shout-out to our mate Clark Eason, who was dressed up as Zool. Instead, they just talk about Pit Fighter, Sonic Tails, James Pond, Prince of Persia, and Darth Vader. The fact that they give column inches to Pit Fighter is depressing. <laughs> And the award for best stand must surely go to Acclaim, who had Krusty Super Funhouse on offer, along with real-life WWF wrestler Hacksaw Jim Duggan sending the kids into jaw-frothing frenzy of excitement. Another article that caught my eye was over on page 12, a tiny single column between Street Fighter and Sonic called EA Goes to the Opera. Mm -hmm. which talks about how Electronic Arts are planning a new 32-bit CD-based entertainment system. It's due for launch in America during the autumn of next year, so I guess 93? I guess that would be be 93. Either way, they're saying that the machine looks to be way above and beyond any technology out at the moment, and it says they've got together with Matsushita, JVC, and Panasonic. One game that's already been announced for the new entertainment system is Lawnmower Man 2, which is based on the sequel to the Smash Hit movie. I'm glad they very specifically say the sequel to the Smash Hit movie. (laughs) It's attracted a lot of interest from the big boys of the computer industry. IBM have joined up with Time Warner to work on an interactive TV channel in America for it. No idea on that one, but this is the birth of the 3DO. It is. Because the 3DO was partially created and founded by Trip Hawkins, who was 
part of Electronic Arts at the time. I didn't realise this came that early. I didn't realise that this was announced that early. I'm still not entirely sure about EA Goes to the Opera. I'm not sure where opera comes into it, but I did appreciate seeing it because, as we've established in the past, I love the 3DO. Yeah, yeah. I've never owned one, but I still want to. <laughs> Even Road Rash looks good on the 3DO. Oh, yeah. It was a nice piece of kit. Uh, you know, it had a terrible games library, and that was always going to be his downfall, that, and it was so expensive. The thing I love the most about the 3DO, and it's specifically the Panasonic 3DO, is it was one of the first consoles to go, let's make this look a bit more serious. Let's not make this look like a games console. Let's make this look like it will fit in in an entertainment center or component hi-fi. It's front-loading. It's got that kind of component hi-fi aesthetic. And I think, actually, it still looks good today. It doesn't look dated as a physical piece of equipment. Now, the second model and the Gold Star 3DO, the flip lid, which looked a bit more like the Amiga CD32, yeah, that looked cheap as yeah. But this first one, I loved how it looked. And I'm excited because we are going to get to start covering the 3DO and news about the 3DO over the next year or so. Just to the left of that, though, I did want to talk about the Street Fighter article they've got on the Mega Drive. Is it happening or what? Uh, they write, Sega is releasing hit game Street Fighter, the championship edition for the Mega Drive. The game has proved a winner for the SNES players, but Sega reckons their version will be king of the hill. Capcom America, the guys behind the arcade as well as the SNES conversion, say that they don't know anything about the Mega Drive version. Sega, though, say the game will be released on March 1st and will be made available for the Master System and Game Gear. It will be B, that's not my uh, edit, that's in the copy itself, it, it will be B, the same as the arcade game, and have the added bonus of four extra characters. Now, this is something we talked about quite a bit because it was in the magazine's uh, articles in the uh, December episodes that we did. We also had Jazz Rignall sign Dan Tootill's copy of the Games Master magazine from Games Master Live that says, not for long, talking about SNES being the only place to play Street Fighter. And over the weekend, as we record this, an article went up by hiddenplace.org. Oh, there's a link to it in the podcast description that talks about the development of Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition on the Mega Drive and why there were all of these conflicting stories. It's a fascinating, fascinating deep dive that goes almost month by month as to why we were getting all of these conflicting reports. I think what you can see there from that article, though, is that all of these rumors about Street Fighter going on the Mega Drive are just coming from Sega and Capcom are just denying it. The article talks about how Capcom had that exclusivity deal with Nintendo, which means a version of Street Fighter 2 could not be released for the Mega Drive or the Genesis in America for between six months to a year. They're not quite sure actually how long the system was, but negotiations between Sega and Capcom to bring Street Fighter 2 to the Mega Drive did begin at the Summer Consumer Electronics Show in 1992. So the summer of 1992, Capcom and Sega were starting to talk about bringing this game across to their system and they were actually talking about bringing across the rebalanced version of the arcade game with the four extra fighters to make the Mega Drive 1 seem like the uh, you know the, the superior version of it 
and figured that because it's the championship edition, it wouldn't break the exclusivity deal with Nintendo because they're not releasing Street Fighter 2 on the Mega Drive. They're releasing Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition on the Mega Drive. And it also would begin the long and storied history of Capcom milking this cash cow for everything it's worth. Because let's just talk about Street Fighter 2. Street, uh, this is just official versions. Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Super Street Fighter 2, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo? Correct. Ultra Street Fighter 2? I think we <laughs> yep. kept going. And then there was Street Fighter 2 HD Remix. Yeah, and within that as well, because one of the key parts to this, and they talk about you know the development of it, is that in the end, we didn't get Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition on the Mega Drive. We got Street Fighter 2 Special Championship Edition. Edition, which was another version of the championship edition and then you throw in what the various chinese hackers created <laughs> and you had special rainbow black belt championship goat edition i don't know <laughs> but yeah it's really really interesting i highly recommend you go and read it because Capcom hadn't worked with the Mega Drive really, so they had to get in a third party to come in and, you know, develop this game for the Mega Drive, and they didn't like it, and that also led to the big delay of the game, which is we're going to see throughout 1993. It's a really, really... I've got... There's one quote here I wanted to read out, and this is from a copy of Mega UK, printed in January 1993. Mike Hayes, who's one of Nintendo UK's marketing representatives, said, we've heard rumors about Sega, just like everyone else, but we're not worried about rumors how can we let rumors seriously affect a 15 million ad campaign anyway the real fanatical fans of street fighter 2 the ones who would be affected by these rumors will have already bought the snes version of street fighter 2 on imports months ago wow openly acknowledging the imports yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Yeah, so there's a link to that article in the podcast description. It's a, it's a dense old read, but it's well, well worth it. But also on this same page, clearly this is a good page for us, Luke. <laughs> Another column inch on MC Sonic, which says, in the wake of the ambassadors of Funk, Super Mario Land and Dr. Spin's Tetris, comes the completely hardcore kicking and sadly inevitable Hedgehogs with Attitude, the HWA, <laughs> and their tribute to Sega's well-known superhero. The song, apparently it's more aggressive and in one's face than its Nintendo-backed predecessors, and it should be in the shops as you read this. Or at least any day now. If you really must go out and buy it, it's on the Jive label. And that would be the Jive label for Jive Bunny? Perhaps, actually, yeah. I mean, to be honest, the cover of it does look a bit Jive Bunny. And it would make sense because maybe Jive Bunny was in one of those Robotnik machines that Sonic rescued them from. <laughs> but they also say Sonic 2 is reviewed on page 56 of this very ish. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. And we will get to that. Have you actually listened to the track Hedgehogs with Attitude Supersonic? <laughs> Listened is a strong word. <laughs> Endured? 
Yeah, it's it's okay, isn't it? Like it's very off its time. I think like when it gets to the actual Green Hill Zone remix bit, it's quite lovely, but anything outside of that is quite generic. But let's be honest, I think something that you and I can both agree on is when it comes to songs based on Sonic, here comes a new challenger, Dominic Diamond, the host of Games Master himself as part of his Twitch channel has recorded a song about Sonic the Hedgehog and it's up on his YouTube channel. Can we pop the link in the show oh, notes? Oh, we certainly will. And it's a thing of beauty. Sonic Though my world was chronic I powered up my genesis Thought there's more to life than this And I put Sonic Up against Robotnik I helped defeat your enemy You became a friend to me Oh, when I run I run through your golden ring I feel like my heart could sing Sing with euphoria I run fast While my He plays his guitar often on his Twitch stream and he's been in various bands, particularly during his career as a radio DJ in Canada. But he wrote this song in a week. It's so good. It's been stuck in my head. Like for the last couple of days, it's been absolutely stuck in my head and I just find myself humming along with it. It is emotional, surprisingly emotional at times. But yeah, absolutely enchanting. Although boo that man for using Genesis and not Mega Drive. You sold out, Dominic. You sold out. He sold out to rhyme. <laughs> also, he's in Canada now. Yeah. So it would be Genesis. <laughs> But leaving Sonic aside, should we do something we haven't done in a little while? Oh, yes, please. What, record a double episode? Well, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> because I know which bit you're jumping into next, so I thought I would. <laughs> the official Virgin Retail charts. We have charts that are compiled from Virgin Retail, so that would be from Virgin Megastores across the country. And we are approaching peak Virgin time. Oh, yeah. So to speak. Yeah, yeah. But this is when Virgin are going toe-to-toe with HMV. If a town has an HMV, there is a higher than possible chance that it will also have a Virgin megastore. It wasn't just console wars in the playgrounds, it was retail wars in the streets. There's only five games in the SNES version because, you know, it's a brand new console. We've got Supersonic in at number five. At number Super f- Soccer. You what said Supersonic. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's going to be stuck in my head as well now. At number five, it's Super Soccer. At number four, we've got Lemmings. And then the pretty obvious ones. At number three, Super Mario World. Zelda 3 in at number two. And Street Fighter 2 in at that number one position. Now you say number three is fairly obvious, but given it's a packing game, I find that more surprising. Yeah, but this happened with Wii Sports as well. Like, I think even though it's a packing game, it's still counted as a sale for it. Hence, like, Wii Sports was the biggest wii game because it was packed in with every single wii ah that's absolutely true and also as we have discussed there were standalone consoles released or a street fighter 2 pack yes or even at this point had we had the super scope pack was that out there wasting shelf space (laughs) i think it was at this point yeah directly below it we've got a top 10 for the nez which despite being of the past generation is still going strong number 10 
Donkey Kong Classics. Number nine, Super Mario Bros. 2. An impressive outing for a game that has been out for four or five years at that point. Oh, yeah. At number eight, Kickle Cubicle. Never heard of it. Number seven, Battletoads. <laughs> heard of that. Oh, yeah. Solid game that was reviewed in Bad Influence. Yes, it was, where they they were kind of so-so on it. Mm. They did pick up on how tough it was, and to be fair, it is. It's yeah, yeah. absolute nails. Number six, Bad Dude. I mean, it's a Sunsoft game, so it's bound to have really good music. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Number five, Mega Man 3, or favourite of Adam's, that'll be. Yep. <laughs> Number four, I think a game that we both probably have some affinity for, Tiny Toons. Love a bit of Tiny Toons. It's way better than the sequel. Number three, Hyper Soccer, which I guess is one up on Super Soccer, or one <laughs> below. But that's a Konami game, so they've got a good history with football games, but not quite yet. Still mm. a few years into the distance. Number two, unsurprisingly, Super Mario Bros. 3. And at number one, Turtles. Take that, Jazz Rignall. Also, I just love that it's just Turtles. turtles. <laughs> no mutant, no hero, no ninja, not a sign of teenage, just turtles because they wouldn't have fit it on a line no the mega drive one's really interesting because it definitely tells you the difference between the audiences for nintendo and sega and for they've been talking about this recently on sonic the comic the podcast there's the second plug for that podcast you should definitely go and listen to it are you getting residuals for these <laughs> I'll, I'll speak to dave but they always do have a lot of sports titles like dominating the charts almost and you know in this you've got Evander Holyfield boxing at seven Super Monaco GP at six Speedball 2 at five NHLPA 93 at two and European Soccer Club at one meaning games like Desert Strikes in at nine and Alex Kids at ten Green Dogs at eight Green Dogs is a shit game by the way uh, Tasmania at four and Aliens 3 at three if you include Speedball 2 as a sports game which it is Half of the Sega chart is dominated by sports games. Yeah. And three of the top five. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, on the Game Gear, Super Kickoff. Oh, look, a sports game. <laughs> yeah. Number four, Sonic the Hedgehog. Number three, Olympic Gold. Oh, look, <laughs> a sports game. Number two, Spider-Man. And number one, Chuck Rock. Mmm, Games Master wouldn't approve of that. Our system's got some interesting ones. Aztec Adventure in at number 10, which I'm not particularly familiar with. Same with Action Fighters in at number 9. Or Super Tennis at number 8. Asterix, fantastic game in at number 7. Super Tennis on a Master System. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's got to be a coincidence. A hell of a coincidence. Oh, man, given the way that grandmothers buy games, you know there was going to be someone disappointed at Christmas. <laughs> Their shiny new Super Nintendo and Super Tennis for the Master System. <laughs> Asterix in at number seven. Fantastic game that we've seen featured in the consultation zone. Terminator in at number six, which I think actually gets reviewed in this very issue of the magazine. World Grand Prix at number five. Prince of Persia, which we've seen so much advertising for across magazines and the Games Master Life magazine as well. It got reviewed on Games Master. They're really pushing this Master System version of the game. And the one thing I've said before, and I'll say it again, all of those print adverts, not a single screenshot of the actual game, just lots of quotes. We've got Endurance Racer at number three, Aliens 3 at number two, and Sonic T Hedgehog in at number one. Sonic being top of the charts isn't surprising. Alien 3 being at number two really does surprise me, 
because I couldn't even remember that there was a Master System version of Alien 3. <laughs> Game Boy only gets top five, but what a top five. Number five, Mega Man. Number four, Batman Return of the Joker. Number three, probably one of my favourite Game Boy games of all times, WWF Superstars. Great game. Such a fun little arcade fighting game. Number two, Tiny Toons again. And at number one, Kel Supreme's Super Mario Land. But I'm surprised it's not. I mean, granted, it was probably a pack-in game which would have helped uh, for, for a lot of Game Boys, but it's not Super Mario Land 2. Given this was released in December, I imagine that Super Mario Land 2 wouldn't have made the impact quite yet. Yeah, maybe. And yes, this would have been top of the charts because it was a packing game. It would have been either this or Tetris as the packing yeah. at that point. In fact, it must have been this because otherwise Tetris would have been top of the charts quite considerably, quite easily. Yeah. Over on the Amiga side of things, Airbucks is in at number 10, followed by Fire Force at 9, The Secret of Monkey Island 2 at 8, Assassin at 7, Championship Manager at 6. Oh boy, Championship Manager, would I spend a lot of time on that later in life. Lotus 3 in at 5, Sensible Soccer at 4, Campaign at 3, and two games that have featured quite heavily on Games Master in the past. Putty is in at number 2, and Zool takes the top spot. No real surprises in that top 10, other than Sensible Soccer not being higher. Yeah, totally. Meanwhile, the last chart we've got for this time round it's the Atari Lynx. It's got some fans out there. Hello, both of you. <laughs> but at number five, we've got Kung Food. Number four, Shadow of the Beast. That actually translated pretty well, or at least as well as Shadow of the Beast ever translates. Yeah, yeah. Number three, Batman Returns, which did look great on the Atari Lynx. Looks wicked, they, yeah. They really got the gothic style of Tim Burton nailed down in that game. Number two, Steel Talons. Now, do you think that's also attempting to be an arcade conversion like the Mega Drive version was? We had a review a couple of issues ago. I'm going to quickly look. It absolutely is attempting to be a conversion, and I use the word conversion <laughs> in the loosest possible way. Oh, this. You've just looked it up, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's not good, is it? No, it is not. It can best be described as half the screen is blue, half the screen is green, there's some blobs, that's it. Yeah. It does look a slightly smoother than the Mega Drive one, though, I will give it that. I think that's just because it couldn't render as much yeah. as the Mega Drive version. It was... It couldn't have as much on the screen, so by its very nature, it had to have slightly better performance but not by much. <laughs> However, at number one of the Atari Lynx charts, a game I've loved on a number of platforms, Switchblade 2. A game that owes a lot to Strider, another game that I also love. But what would a Games Master magazine be without Dominic Diamond himself? And oh dear, it's Dominic's big purple column. With a lovely picture of the man himself, resplendent in his red blazer with cheeky carnation. <laughs> and as they say, it's jutting proud and firm at the very prow of the Games Master magazine. Well, nearly at the prow. First 20 pages, which on a 140-odd page magazine is definitely prowish. Yeah, it's not bad. And it's interesting because Dominic's starts on the defensive in this because as to be fair we have questioned at some points during season one how much of a gamer is he or as he puts it contrary to what a large portion of the sado magazine <laughs> writers tell you i have been playing video games since the age of about 12 when my mother went out to buy a high-powered computer thingy as she called it 
that'd be Paula, and she came back with a ZX Spectrum. Life then proceeded as a series of moist moments thanks to games like Match Day 2, Attic Attack, Saberwolf, Manic Miner, and more, with my brothers and sisters kicking seven shades of sushi out of each other to get a shot. I love that Dominic was a Spectrum gamer because that's that basics gaming. That's that's kind of foundation level gaming. That's before it became popular and cool. That was back when typing on a keyboard was an effort, not only because typing wasn't taught, but because the keyboards on the Spectrum were an interesting rubber membrane affair. And I think that's then reflected in the top five games that he's picked for this month, because, you know, it is, it's Amiga, it's the PC. He has got SNES and Mega Drive in there, but they're sports simulators, which he's really into. So I think it's very telling that he very much likes his computers rather than his consoles. Indeed, to give a quick rundown of that top five games of the month, number five is Pinball Fantasies, which what a choice of a game at that point arguably one of the most accurate pinball simulations available out there and as he rightly says i think i'll just have one quick game and next thing i know it's three months later and my girlfriend has run off with andy crane <laughs> brackets smashing bloke incidentally i'm sure he is number four here we are in the sports it's EA NHLPA Hockey. Yeah, it's the one that Razor Abdelali was talking about. Indeed, and he says, I played EA Hockey until my dangle is dropped off, and I think this is improvement enough to warrant buying, even if you do have the original. However, don't complain to me if you do get it and think it's too similar, because I won't care. <laughs> I'd like that. <laughs> Ask my mum. Number three, it's a game that we haven't featured reviewed, but we have seen in the consultation zone. It's Rex Nebular and the Cosmic Gender Bender. Full title and everything for Rex Nebular. I've done it again, Rex Nebular. Why can't I say his goddamn name right? Which name? Rex Nebular. There it is. There you are, you got yeah, it, you got it now. There you you tried to trick me. <laughs> no, 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 I was just trying to get you to say it with thought so you get it right, and yeah, I was kind of trying to trick you. <laughs> But he openly admits he's terrible at venture games and he actually had to call up Yvette at Micropros to ask for her help. And apparently she laughed at his pitiful playing panache, made some comments involving the word shriveled and manhood, and guided me gently, but firmly, in the right direction. Basically, you've got to find a vase on a planet filled with women. You get to make whoopee with some of them. Points for including the phrase making whoopee, I've got to say. <laughs> yeah. At some point you turn into a woman, you see the odd pair of lady bumps... It's brilliant. It's a game that's almost designed for people like Dominic Diamonds and Dave Perry. I'd imagine Dominic used it as research for some of the lines that he comes up with in Season 2. Yeah. Speaking of Season 2, we've got a game up next that we'll be featuring in two weeks' time. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. As part of a follow-on to the Curly Challenge, it's NCAA Basketball on the Super NES, only available as an import at this point. But this is one of the first times we will see a basketball game in kind of 3D yeah. because this is using Mode 7 to its absolute fullest. The sprites spin and scale, the court rotates, it turns as you go up and down the court. It's a cracker of a basketball game. It hasn't aged as well purely because of how far the simulation has come now, but you can really see that they were pushing the console at this point and trying to create something new and different to the side-scrolling 
back and forth basketball games of the time. Still prefer NBA Jam. I was going to say, like, NBA Jam is the game that proves that you don't need to have, like, these swish 3D graphics. You know, that is a 2D game and it works absolutely brilliantly. But NCAA basketball is fascinating to look at. You're playing in this sort of, like, blue infinite space because of the way that it's, you know, spinning around. They can't render in all of the, the backgrounds and everything. So it does look a little bit shonky at times. But, man, it's impressive. So, so impressive. And it's really, really fun when we get to it in episode 16. And in at number one, Kel Surprise, it's Sensible Soccer. Version 1.1, importantly. Yes, definitely importantly. He sent off his floppy for the upgrade. <laughs> the greatest football game just got better. Hardly a day goes by when I don't try to take Celtic to Dominic's true European Super League Championship. The goalies are tougher and better animated. There are extra tournaments. And there's even a special Games Master team in there as well. Yeah, we didn't mention this in the review. And I actually didn't really pick up on it until I was clipping it out for our social media channels. But the team that they're playing on the review that they had a couple of issues ago did feature the Games Master team. Now, fun fact, there was a recent Sensible Soccer re-release. It actually came out on the Xbox, Mm. I think, as part of Xbox Live, Xbox Arcade. And Dominic now picked that up, expecting to find the game he knew and loved. And he kind of didn't, and he didn't get on with it. And one of the things he took umbrage with is there was a Games Master team in there, but it was not the Games Master team of Sensible Soccer 1.1. As far as he can tell, it was just made up of members of the magazine roster. Uh-huh. But that's like the 2018 magazine roster, not even this time's magazine roster. Yeah. But that was his top five. And as he says, my opinions may differ from those of the reviewers in the magazine. But then one man's meat is another man's rude innuendo, as they say in Swindon. (laughs) They definitely do. In his famous friends sections, he said every month I'll run down one of the special guests on Games Master. I'll tell you what they're really like, whether they're good at games and which football team they support. Or sometimes I'll just make everything up. And this month, once again... It's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You cannot get rid of this man. Arguably, as a personality goes, he's the biggest personality they've had on Games Master. So I can entirely understand them featuring him for this. And his day goes something like this. 1100 hours. The unfeasibly hairy Hacksaw Jim Duggan arrives on the Games Master holiday camp. 1102 hours. The unfeasibly hairy Hacksaw Jim Duggan goes berserk. 1105 hours. The unfeasibly hairy Hacksaw Jim Duggan goes down into the pit. And he follows it by saying, who needs Piers Morgan with celebrity gossip like this? There's a question that will stand (laughs) for the ages. (laughs) We're still asking these sorts of questions. And next month, we're going to get teen pop stars Take That and E17. Yes, they'll be discussing Eastern philosophy over a crispy cod in batter. For his CAC game of the month, though, now... Is this the first? Because CAC is going to become a big, big word in Games Master vernacular, that and pants. But is this the first time we're getting CAC said in either an issue of Games Master or in the show? It's definitely the first time it's said in an issue of Games Master, being um, that this is the first yeah. issue of Games Master. Yeah. But I've certainly not noticed it being said in the show. Yeah. So this is definitely it on the uprise, but they've got to use words like cack and pants because they can't use words like sh** and b**** Yeah, neither can we. Keeping your censorship file busy. That's what I like to do. <laughs> but anyway, the cack game of the month is Splatterhouse, which presumably is Splatterhouse 2 on the Mega Drive. Gratuitous blood and guts do not make a good game, as Norman Lamont says, and this is monotonous, sad, pathetic, boring and it smells lots of people have bought this game i worry for the future of this fine country 
I like Splatterhouse 2. I like Splatterhouse 2. I like Splatterhouse 3. Yeah, yeah, you played on it. You played on a Switch stream recently. I did, I did, and uh, I'd only been playing it for about twenty minutes before I discovered that pressing pause brought up a map. <laughs> yeah, it's very handy, that. Yeah, I'd I'd have probably actually made some progress in the game if I'd known about it at the beginning. <laughs> Thanks, Gordon. And in the closing credits, I'm sure you're all avid viewers of Games Master's closing credits. Every week, you'll see lots of names zipping up. Some of them are real people who contribute to the show in some small way. Each month, we'll tell you about one of them so the next time you watch the show, you can say, there's that bloke with the pierced nipples or something like that. This month, it's Jane Hewland. Jane is our executive producer, company chairperson, and the woman responsible for the television wonder that is Games Master. She's also my boss, she's a beautiful person, and I'm not worthy to wash her greasy teacups. Diamondism. (laughs) I haven't quite worked out what greasy teacups could be, but diamondism it's probably a diamondism somewhere yeah yeah and lastly he gives a competition a cac competition there's that word again it's called that because the prizes are rubbish also as you may have noticed the coupon to enter it is stuck on the wrong side of the page meaning it's against the staples making it extra difficult to cut out i love that that's great (laughs) anyway if you're interested all you have to do is complete the following sentence dominic's red jacket is dot 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 Worthy of the fire, according to Dexter Fletcher. See, I was going to go with quite charming, really. Actually saying that, it's probably worthy of the fire, according to Dominic. He said in that interview with the Retro Hour podcast that he hated that jacket. Oh, we absolutely despised it. Someone actually asked him on his Twitch stream if he still had it, and his response was no, they set fire to it in season three. (laughs) Moving on. And then, apparently, if you'd like a bit of his column for yourself... Hello. ...misses, complete this sentence. I think you should say hello to me because... In 17 words or less. That's not my answer. Those are the, the rules of the competition. In 17 words or less would be a valid answer and might actually get you into the column. You can send those into the Games Master office, which is part of Future Publishing on Monmouth Street in Bath. Man, I remember that address from so many magazines of the time. Bath is where all the magazines were at. <laughs> We're going to skip the TV news section because, to be fair, you'll have either already heard some of it or you're going to hear the rest of it. Covering the TV show is kind of our deal. (laughs) Well, let's jump into the Games Arena. It's our first appearance of Games Master, where he said, Greetings! Welcome to the Games Arena. This is your chance to join battle with your fellow readers in a bid for the title Games Master Magazine Champion. You will no doubt have noticed the application form at the foot of this page offering you the means to enter the fray. If you are in possession of an unusually advanced joystick skill and think you have the medal to compete and win, I strongly advise that you accept the challenge, but more on that in the moment. Now let's meet our first competitors. For this very special first challenge, I have decided it will be stimulating for you to witness a contest between two true masters of computer games. However, I could not secure any, so Games Master's own James and Adrian will have to suffice. And they're going to be playing Street Fighter 2. Oh, there's a change. There's <laughs> a game that we haven't seen much of recently. <laughs> and we've got the vital stats of the two competitors in the red corner. We've got Adrian Aids Price, who's 19 years old. Jesus, he's 19 years old. I know, and Adrian is a face that you will see a lot in these magazines over the next decade plus. But yeah, he is a he. I recognise that face hanging around a lot. Well, his face is attached to a five foot ten body weighing 147 pounds. He's got no distinguishing marks. His fighting style is loud and erratic, and his pre-match prediction is: I really can't see that there's going to be any contest. James might be very good when it comes to bossing people around, but I'm the one with the skill. 
Oh, well, that is James Master Leach. He is a cool 24, the reviews editor, 5'11", 168 pounds. And his pre-match prediction is, I've been looking forward to giving Adrian a good thrashing for some considerable time now, and I shall enjoy every last second of it. Oh, I get that. That's very good. James Master James Master, yeah, 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 yeah. That's why it's the reviews editor. You see, writing skills like that. So we'll go through the games arena now because it's split over a couple of pages within the preview section. In the first round, we've got James as Blanca beating Adrian as Chun Li, who he says he didn't actually want to play as. To be fair, if you can't beat Blanca with Chun Li. You're just not very good at the game. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got a little quote there from Adrian saying, wait, can we start again? And James just replies, excuses, eh? I wouldn't mind if he said my brain's not working or my eyes aren't plugged in. But no, git. <laughs> git. Back then, that was a strong word to use. Oh, yeah. In the second round, Adrian picks Zangief and he then beats James, who plays as Eddie Honda. And in the third round, they both play as Ken. But young Adrian is our eventual winner. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of rooting for James throughout this one. One, way better nickname. <laughs> Two, the whole bit with Chun Li right at the beginning just really knocked me off. <laughs> at WH Smith, you can find out how to get tons of gorgeous white foliage in your garden with more than enough videos to turn you into a film buff. And why not? You'll find all you need to draw and paint and everything you'll need to capture the emotional dynamism of the Impressionists. <laughs> no one it is yet. CDs? Who knows? <sighs> all from the same shop that sells comics. <laughs> There's more to discover at WH Smith. That's a cracker. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Virgin Megastore in Oxford Street, the heart of music in the heart of London. This runs along the bottom of the preview section for the first four six pages. And while some of the previews are fairly standard, Star Wars for the Game Boy, Mr. Nuts for the Super Nintendo. I actually played Mr. Nuts in preparation for this because I've never played it before. Did you now? <laughs> I've never actually played it before, but I remember seeing it a lot at the time. So I thought, you know, I'm going to give this a little go. And it is, you know, a very, very standard game. It's the sort of game that Jazz Rignall would absolutely hate because it is just a standard platformer. It's nails at times as well. Like there's when you get into sort of like the haunted part of the woods, which is only like level like round three of, of level one, there's no checkpoints, but the levels are quite long. And it generally took me quite a few attempts to get through that, to get through to the the boss of, of stage one, which I did eventually lose to. But you know, it is a it's a perfectly fine little platformer. I do love that one of the screenshots they've included is of clearly some form of giant (laughs) having his eye poked out by the squirrel. It's quite gruesome for a Super Nintendo game, even if it's lacking blood. It's, uh, yeah, there's definitely some eye loss going there. I also like this from the preview where it said, it may just be a game about a squirrel, but Mr. Nuts has that classy smooth look that could be described as cute. But we won't do that because cute is one word that we don't like to use in Games Master. Another word is hooters. Now, that's not true. I bet you they like to use the word hooters or greasy cups. One of my favorite previews in this section, and I think something that I've not really seen in a preview before, is for James Pond 3 Operation Starfish, where we have a few screenshots, but what we have a lot more of are sprite tiles and designs and map layouts showing how the levels are going to be constructed and built together, kind of a giant view of the overworld. Yeah, and you can tell that they've got a really good relationship with Millennium or they were working with Millennium on this because they interviewed several of the people that are making this game, which is why they've got this incredible access to all of these assets and image files and everything. It's a really, it's like a four page preview of James Pond. It's really, really cool. And the thing that really jumped out to me is the original name of Operation Starfish, because it is James Pond going to the moon. The original title was Splash Gordon. I think they should have stuck with Splash Gordon. Same here. But yeah, I just love seeing the sprite panels and seeing the various kind of little bits and pieces because even if they don't have much to show them from the finished game at that point, showing the building blocks is just really cool and not something you saw a lot of at this point. Mm. As time went on and we got more things like Edge and other magazines that did more of the deep dives, it would become slightly more commonplace. But this, to me, felt new and slightly different. And while the game itself is not something I've got much affinity for, I appreciated the work that went into the feature. And as I said, there's really interesting interviews with the people who made the game, particularly Chris Sorrell. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff to dive into here, which I think is really, really cool. And it carries on some of the other previews as well. Gunship 2000, which could just be a standard preview of a helicopter simulator. They actually break down the heads-up display and label all the components, giving you an idea of what will be facing you on the screen. It's a nifty attention to detail, and I would definitely recommend go out and find the PDFs of this magazine that you can find from archive.org and a couple of other places. It's worth looking into because at this point in time, 
not many other magazines were taking this approach. Got a few other previews. The Elite 2 drop zone on the Game Boy uh, Walker, which is credited as a SNES game, but is actually an Amiga game. And a very big preview for Wing Commander on the Super Nintendo. Wing Commander on the Super Nintendo, not the worst translation. Thank you, Mode 7. That really helped it above and beyond what could have been achieved on the Mega Drive. I can't remember if this was the first Wing Commander I played. I think it was, and I think it was the Super Nintendo version. Oh, really? So my kind of interest in Wing Commander probably started at this point, but then you put Malcolm McDowell and Mark Hamill in it, and that interest peaked. There's also previews for Speedball 2 on the Game Boy, Road Rash on the Amiga, Road Rash 2 on the Mega Drive, which is going to be coming up in a future episode of Games Master. Road Rash on the Amiga looks like a much slicker and more detailed game. The graphic quality is definitely a step above what was being done on the Mega Drive. So let's get into the review section. The way we thought we would do this as well is that you were going to pick out some of your favorite reviews from the Nintendo side of thing because you are a Nintendo kid, and I was going to look at these Sega ones. So I'm going to kick things off with the terms of the mega drive ones there was a lot of sports games that as has kind of been covered a lot in this show doesn't really grab my fancy we've already had john madden reviewed as well previously but yes i am gonna look at that sonic 2 review now we talked about the the kind of summation that they gave of sonic 2 and why they did give it a score of 65 percent when you know every other magazine was giving it a much much higher score and i do think that they're slightly justified in it but jim douglas has even more clarification where he says 65 percent for sonic 2 what's going on not perhaps the mark you might expect so let's take things step by step sega have in improved on the original in two areas. First is the general tidying up and sharpening of elements that were a bit wonky in the first game. Sonic can speed from a standing start now, and you have to look around a little bit more for the special stages. The second is the two-player mode, which is a great laugh, even if it does look like you're playing on a Game Gear screen. Sonic 2, however, is far far too easy to complete and there's not enough to go back and explore once you've sorted Robotnik. Technical excellence alone, which Sonic 2 undeniably has in spades, does not a good game make. Think carefully before you buy. And when we look back at the times that were done for Sonic 2 and we look at our talk with Mensky and the talk about that chart, he isn't wrong. He's not wrong. A lot of people completed this game very, very quickly. And yes, there isn't replayability. It's not like you even had an online capability where you could do speed challenges against other people or races in multiplayer mode. Do I think it deserves as low as 65%? No. But I think their complaints are valid. Yeah, Les Ellis is even harsher on the game. He said, well, this is the game that is supposed to make Sega tops again in the console wars over Christmas. Without a doubt, it will sell by the truckload just because of the name. But after playing it for a while, I can't help feeling that there will be a lot of disappointed kids this Christmas. The game is a case of more of the same. The first one looked nice, and so does this. The first game was easy to get into, and so is this. The first was dead easy to complete, and so is this. There's just no challenge involved in Sonic 2, so it becomes a bore and a real letdown. Only the two-player mode will save it from becoming a total rip-off. 
don't bother with it. That is amazingly harsh. Yeah. But does draw a neat line between where we are with Sonic and where we are with Mario, because with Mario, you can speedrun it on Mario World. You can complete it in a fairly quick time, but there are other paths. There are separate worlds. There are side quests. The, ni- are... the 96 exits. Yeah, there's all those extra bits and pieces to go back for, but it does speak as well of the different audience. Mega Drive's never really got into the super long-form gaming. RPGs never really took off on the Mega Drive. Certainly not in Western uh, civilizations, no. They, I think they did a little bit in Japan with Fantasy Star, but not so much over here in the West. But even in Japan, they definitely struggled. I was watching a YouTube video that unfortunately the title of escapes me that was looking back at some RPG Zelda-like games on the Mega Drive, and it was a concentrated effort to try and go, hey, we can do this too, because you had Final Fantasy on the Super Nintendo, Chrono Trigger, Zelda, Secret of Mana. You had all these games coming out that were really long old games. Mega Drive was speed. So what have you got for the Super Nintendo? Well, first up for me on the Super Nintendo, it's a game we will be seeing in Games Master in the consultation zone, I think. It's pushover on the Super NES. Yes, I've I've become so madly addicted to this game as of late. Since that Games Master Live 92 episode, I've become madly addicted to this game. And this game, this scores more than 65%. This gets a solid 85%. Although Adrian Price is quick to criticise the graphics, saying he thought it was an ugly looking game. I think that's a bit unfair. I wouldn't say it's ugly. It'd be like calling Lemmings ugly. The graphical style suits the style of gameplay. This game is about fitting a large amount of content on the screen. Therefore, you are going to lose some sprite size. And when you make the sprites smaller, they're going to be less detailed. But there's a layered background. There's nicely detailed set pieces. On the first big illustration, you can see some kind of ruins with grass and columns in the background and statues. But this is a port. This is not an original title to the Super Nintendo, as we covered it at Games Master alive this started life on the amiga and the atari and at that point had the colin curly license and was tied in with the snack food quavers <laughs> right now you could instantly win one of 200 commodore amigas with scrummy curly quavers or push over a new computer game starring me and my pal gian there are ten thousand to be won details on every package Not to be seen on the Super Nintendo, that particular tie-in has disappeared, but what you're left with, according to Jim Douglas at least, is a fantastically playable and refreshingly infuriating puzzler. And it is infuriating to play as well. If you've not got a guide for this and you just find yourself staring at this screen with nothing happening... Oh, it's so annoying. Mild spoilers, We've all, I've already got my notes for the next couple of episodes, including where this game shows up in the consultation zone. And my note for the solution for the consultation zone on this were three words. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because there is no way that you would just go, oh, obviously this is what I need to do. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, spoilers, I had to go to YouTube to get that hint. I could not do that level off my own accord. But to give a little bit of background on Pushover, it is essentially setting up a domino rally with an ant. But much like lemmings have different functions, so do the dominoes. Plain yellow domino, standard. Red, it's a stopper. Red and yellow, it's a fruit salad. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> it's a splitter. Vertical red and yellow, exploder, and so on and so forth. Including some that literally just float once they get hit until they hit the underside and then they start moving again. It's an amazingly addictive puzzler, as you've said. 
and one I'm amazed we haven't seen revisited. Mm. This feels like a shoe in for a mobile game. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking that while I was playing it, that this would be so good on an iOS device. Or tablet, Android tablet, anything with a touchscreen would be great, where you can just drag the cursor around. And on-screen D-pads and buttons annoy me, but they would work for this game. Yeah, there's probably just not enough way to monetize it. Yeah, well, um, no, there is. <laughs> you put the specialist bricks in loot crates. Oh, yeah, maybe that's the way to do it. I don't want your royalties if you use that. <laughs> but even Jim Douglas does criticise the graphics and says you may as well be playing it on the NES. And I think this is an era where suddenly graphics are beginning to overtake the core gameplay play in initial reactions and responses mm. because we're seeing what the Super Nintendo can do in the way of 3D or what the Mega Drive can do in the number of sprites and speed of what's on screen and then you have this quite quaint little puzzle game and it doesn't impress. Yeah. So while on the graphics and sounds it only scores six apiece, the playability is eight, the last ability is eight and there are like a hundred levels or more oh, on this yeah. one. And yeah, Les says he's fast becoming a fan and I can understand why 85%. I've got the next review as well, and now we've talked about my history with Simpsons games. <laughs> I still get a little angry. But one game I borrowed, but didn't own, but did enjoy a lot, was Bart's Nightmare. Now, there is a sentence I've never heard anyone on the internet utter, which is, I played Bart's Nightmare and I enjoyed it. Because this game has really sort of like grown into this pantheon of like, you know, I, I mean... Space Mutants is a diabolically bad game. Camp Deadly is a standard game that's not particularly great either. I know you've got your own personal issues with it. But Bart's Nightmare is categorically shit upon by anyone who will talk about it. Honestly, I can tell you why I liked it. The Bartzilla level. Yeah, I was going to say the Godzilla stuff, right? <laughs> that's it. Because I didn't have King of the Monsters. I had Bartzilla. <laughs> but also, the game actually... And it even shows in this review, the game looks pretty good. They're nice and bright, colourful graphics. They're arguably the best representation of the characters we've had on a computer thus far. Itchy and Scratchy are there. The whole different other characters. You've got parodies of Indiana Jones. You've got a take on the Fantastic Voyage or Inner Space, depending on which decade you grew up in. And you know what? It's not a great game. But Jim Douglas is with me kind of because he says it's a tricky one on the surface bart's nightmare looks to be entirely crap but after a few plays it's possible to see through the deceptive rubbishness of the graphics oh i disagree yeah, on that i disagree one. on that and identify some reasonably slick game mechanics underneath there's plenty to keep simpsons fans smiling the sub games including itchy and scratchy and bartzilla are a hoot and offer hearty laughs the first or second time round. Nevertheless, the frustration involved in collecting the flutteringly elusive pieces of homework which allow access to these amusing sections seriously hampers one's overall enjoyment. It'll make you chuckle. And that's the thing, if I'd owned it, I'd probably think less of it, but I borrowed it, so I played it solidly for a week until I had to give it back. Yeah, it's a good rental. Yeah, I'd give it a 75. I wouldn't give it a 54, I'd give it a 75. It's rental territory. Yeah, because that's what it gets here, 54%. That's a damning, damning score. Yeah, but it's only 9% lower than Sonic 2. <laughs> Oh, f*** <laughs> You threw the first stone on that one. And my last choice. We're going back to the NES. A console that's down, but not quite out. And a game that whatever platform you play it on is guaranteed multiplayer fun. It's Micro Machines. Absolutely. Love, 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 love 
Micro Machines. I had it on the Mega Drive. It was such a good game. I've not played the NES port of it, but you can't go wrong with Micro Machines. The most you're going to lose on the NES is some of the sound and a little bit of the music. Yeah. It's going to sound like every other racing game on the NES, but the gameplay will be there. You can still get your multiplayer on, and it's at a budget price. $19.99. That's not bad. Not bad at all, mate. James Leach is reviewing, and he says it's a definite recommend. It's a novel idea done very well, and it's incredibly addictive. You need two players to get the most fun out of it, but it's still worth having, even if there's only one of you. And you never know when someone might pop around for a burn. Bear. Is he talking about the old... Ooh, I don't... Mm. Oh my god, actually the concept of having a burn and playing micro machines all night <laughs> that's actually pretty good that's not bad that that could be a lot of fun <laughs> if you like that sort of thing whoa man we're by the cereal man i could eat a giant cheeto right now <laughs> and james's praise is reflected in the score 91 percent. very very that's a great great score what was sonic score again yeah 65 percent. yeah 65 yeah not 91. It's, it's not 91, no. A NES game scored more than Sonic 2, Luke. <laughs> well, that's because we've got people like Les Ellis working for this magazine who gave that, you know, very... It, he wasn't the overall reviewer of Sonic 2, but he did give that very damning impression of it. And he's here reviewing Lemmings on the Mega Drive. And yeah, you can sort of see this is the sort of gamer that he is. It's playing Lemmings. He talks about how the graphics are rubbish, but the sound's great, the playability's great, and importantly, that last ability is there. And he says, with all the hype surrounding Sonic 2, it's a pity that games like Lemmings will not get the attention they deserve. If you want a game with challenge, then look at this before anything else. It's tough, it's cute, and it takes ages to complete. The graphics may be a little below par, and the action is hardly fast, but Lemmings plays like a good one. Are you to tell me he's wrong no, he's absolutely not wrong and that to score of 80 percent, he's absolutely bang on the banana with that one because like we said with micro machines no matter what console you're playing this on you cannot go wrong with lemmings lemmings is a game that didn't really suffer on any home computer or home console platform that it appeared on handheld but on the home console anything from the nes up could cope with it really graphically i played it on the cpc 464 it was fine <laughs> The graphics fit, the gameplay was there, yes, the sound may suffer, but this is a compelling and addictive game, and it will definitely take you longer than two hours to complete. Yeah, it really will do, and it got a better score than Sonic 2. Do you know what? We're going to get letters. <laughs> do you know what didn't get a better review than Sonic 2? This is not the main one I want to talk about, but it is the worst reviewed game in the magazine, and I'm unsurprised at this, because it's Pit Fighter on the Master System. Do you know what? I hadn't checked the score of Pit Fighter, but I knew what game you were going to talk about, because there was no way... Oh, Luke, can you imagine a world where Pit Fighter scored higher than Sonic 2? Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, Adrian Pride says, Okay, so it isn't Street Fighter 2, and I didn't expect it to be, but I did think it would be better than this. It's more of a button-mashing event than a game. 20% for Pit Fighter on the Master System. I've got to be honest, I'm not surprised by that. It still looks better than the Amstrad version, which is the version that I played. <laughs> final game i want to talk about was the port of terminator on the game gear with adrian again saying it's a nice game which can be difficult at times short and sweet if only there was more what it boils down to is that it's a perfect conversion of the mega drive game 84 percent now the reason i wanted to bring this up is because terminator is a game i've been playing a lot of recently because going way way back to episode one of this show i said that i could complete the game in 10 minutes uh, back in the day 
and I thought to myself, I wonder if I still could. Turns out I'm not as good at the game as I was previously, but I did manage to complete it in under 10 minutes again. I did it in 9 minutes and 40 seconds. That's something to be proud of. That's that that is a speed run. Where does that rank on on the kind of the 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 internet chart? It makes me the 11th quickest player out of 13 uh, to run the game. And watching some of the other people that a runner can get sort of under nine minutes can get sort of sub nine minutes towards like eight and a half. I think I could probably get there as well because they're making sloppy mistakes that I wouldn't have made. I just made sloppy mistakes elsewhere, it turns out. So I think I could possibly get it down to around eight and a half minutes, given a few hours, given like given a good full week's worth of trial and error. I think I could probably get it down to eight and a half minutes. Now, are you playing on original hardware with this? Uh, on emulation, but in my defense, so is everyone else. All of the all of the speedruns on there, with the exception of one, is on emulation. That's fair, because as we've seen with King of Kong and stuff like that, playing under emulation. Oh dear. <laughs> Still, a solid 84% for that in the Game Gear. Pretty decent. We then get a substantial chunk of advertising bump oh, yeah. and a couple of competitions. And then we're into our namesake. It's the consultation zone. Yeah. Well, actually, no, it's the tip zone. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> With a massive, massive guide for crusty Super Fun House on the Super Nintendo. This is what I like. This is what I want to see from my magazine guides on how to beat games. Loads of screenshots, loads of arrows pointing to things, detailed guides on how to beat these games. And Crusty Super Fun House isn't the only game to get multi-page love because Zool, the ninja from the nth dimension, gets a good couple of spreads as well, including ways to cheat, things to do in different worlds details on that secret games master room and old nam rude's gonna be annoyed because you remember back in bad influence when he gave us the goldfish cheat uh but then said you'll have to explore yourself to find out what all the function keys does well bloody games master just tells you what they are you press one to make him invincible you press two to advance to the next stage you press three to skip the level entirely and if you're feeling particularly perverse you can always press four this handy little cheat kills off all current life which is good for uh nothing whatsoever but hey, stick it, Namrud. <laughs> they do say, though, warning, we here at Games Master specialise in cheating. The activity is generally not, we repeat, not big, clever, or hard in any way whatsoever. Just look at all these famous cheats through history. Judas, Richard Nixon, Ben Johnson. I mean, you wouldn't want to be tarred with the same grubby brush as that lot, would you? Of course not. I mean, you say that, this was 1992, but you skip forward a decade and Richard Nixon is a beloved side character on Futurama. That's not a bad future. <laughs> we also get a lovely overworld map and a series of hints for Zelda, a link to the past. You want something like this, don't you, when playing the game? You also get a two-page spread on Shadow of the Beast 3. Mm. Less of that. A <laughs> uh, friend of Games Master Putty gets a three-page spread. It's the sort of thing you love to see. Olympic Gold gets a double-page spread as well. It just feels so, so detailed. Before you get to just sort of the tiny, and here are some short cheats that you can do for the action replay and in games in general. I did like having the page of action replay and Game Genie cheats because this comes into something we talked about when we were discussing these devices, which is sometimes some of the easy ones used to get infinite lives, infinite energy, and some things just break the game. Like for Batman, you've got a code that causes running enemies to freeze when shot. <laughs> Another one for Super Mario Brothers that lets you throw fire a small Mario, or the one directly below it that says the screen becomes striped. <laughs> 
Yep, cool. Super Mario Brothers 3, all blocks become a one-up. Well, that's good. That's very nice to have. There is admittedly one here that would make Simpsons Bart versus the Space Mutants easier to complete. A code that says 87 coins and a life for every coin you collect. That would definitely help. It really would as well. And our boy, the Game Genie Guru, who we interviewed back on the Christmas episode, is in here giving some Game Genie hints for Sonic that allows you to make Sonic jump really high, uh, speed up to a very fast pace, or do a mega jump. Ooh. I will say in this entire section, there is one code that is useful above all others. It's an action replay code for the Mega Drive, and it's for Pit Fighter. <laughs> Only one win, and you become the champion. Best way to play Pit Fighter. One match, and that's it. <laughs> Just looking at the Quackshot ones as well. Start game with maximum health. I mean, you basically already do. Start the game with max power after you die. That's pretty good. Almost infinite power. Start the game with 25 Donald Ducks. Start the game with 99 Donald Ducks. And an infinite Donald Ducks. Infinite pop. Ah, do you know what? Infinite popcorn when you pick it up. That's a really, really good cheat to have because you definitely need that in some of the bosses, particularly like the, the Viking skeleton is very good if you've got a lot of popcorn. It's nice to see these codes because in days before the internet, this would be the only place other than distinctly questionable rate phone numbers that you would be able to get these codes. But next up, we have the actual consultation chamber where people can write in, send hints, ask for hints and we've got a fairly decent selection to start with we've got some level codes for pushover a guide on how to do the moves on street fighter 2 which i'm pretty sure are in the instruction manual i can't remember if they were in the super nintendo instruction manual because yeah. it's been such a long time ago and to be fair i was buying magazines at the time and they all had the moves in them fair enough i, I was judging that solely on the mega drive version which obviously you know was the superior version not listening <laughs> sonic 2 65 percent there was one that jumped out to me, which was a guide for Castlevania in order to beat the Frankenstein and the uh, the little creature that stays with him. And they said, first get the fireball, which isn't a real weapon, uh, is, the, is the best weapon to have. When you get to the two bosses, jump on the block to the right, kneel down and whip as fast as you can. When Igor moves, step aside to avoid his fireballs. While you do this, keep whipping Frankenstein. Do this a couple of times and they should soon be dead. They're half right on this. Now, as someone who's never completed Castlevania, I don't really feel like I have much of a to stand on here but i do know what i'm talking about in this region which is what you actually want to do is get the holy water because the holy water stuns enemies until the animation has finished so if you throw it at igor you hit igor and you hit the frankenstein monster attacking both of them stunning the igor and that's the best weapon to have but lastly in the consultation zone it's that favorite punching bag of us and the magazine it's a hint for pit fighter and actually i do quite like this hint which is when you have to fight two chain wielding guys you stand between them <laughs> and then duck out of the way when they go to hit you nice. so they essentially do the classic three stooges hit each other kind of moment and you just keep repeating that and that that will defeat them nice there is just a couple of quick things i want to mention because we are rapidly approaching the end of the magazine and indeed the end of this episode one of which is much like c and vg did they've added an advice section on purchasing games for mail order because obviously a lot of companies are reaching out to Games Master as they do to other magazines to advertise, to buy space. And with magazines, a lot of money is made from advertising space, but they can't vet everyone. And so they've done a page of advice for buying by phone, buying by post, how to return goods, how to pay, checklist to make sure that you are going to be safe in your purchases. And particularly as they said they were going to be covering grey imports, I really appreciate that. Yeah, really do. 
bar the Simpsons Game Boy episode, <laughs> I was lucky in my purchasing of import games. I never really got stung, but I could have easily been. Yeah. Particularly given the niche nature of some of the games I purchased, particularly on the PlayStation and as we got further into the 90s. And speaking of people advertising, only one of the adverts really leapt out. And it was for a small company called the Tottenham Court Road Computer Exchange. Back when they still used to do little cartoons to advertise their wares with their mascot, their kind of like little sproingy haired mascot who would frequently get into fights and scrapes. And this was when their only real branch was near Warren Street Tube. Yeah. And the reason why this caught my eye is recently... I say recently, about four months ago, (laughs) I was walking off Oxford Street, making my way towards Tottenham Court Road, and I went past one of the branches of Computer Exchange, and they'd clearly found the wooden cutout of this mascot, and they had him stood in the window. Oh, no way. It was genuinely like seeing an old friend, because it reminded me when you could go to Computer Exchange and buy import games as well, as well as import DVDs, and before they became the big and successful chain they are now. Yeah. But this was a nice little reminder. Anyway, Luke, how are we wrapping up this magazine? Well, before we find out what's coming up in the next issue, uh, over on page 141, there's a horoscope to be read. So we thought it would be fun to uh, read, as they put here, the uh, horoscope question mark? So should we take a look at mine? Because I am Leo. I am in that July to August bracket. So for me, it says, During a particularly hectic game of Super Smash TV, you receive a visit from the TV licensing people. You then attempt to pathetically explain that you never actually watch the TV, you just play games on it. You are fined £1,000. My advice? Get a monitor. They're not (laughs) wrong. Not that I got visited by the TV license people, but advising to get a monitor. However... A monitor would not exclude you from the TV licensing people knocking on the door because via an adapter, it would still be technically capable of receiving television programming. And that was the excuse they used in the 90s. You would be more likely to get away with it, but it would by no means be a guarantee against a TV license fine. Mm. So how did you do a Sagittarius? Well, in the Sagittarius area, it's an ah, the sign of the archer. I see your intentions soaring purposely towards their target like the proverbial arrow in that famous proverb. Uh, anyway, decide what you want this month and just go for it. Whether it's that new cart, important move, packet of frazzles, don't let anyone stand in your way. You are a penetrating shaft. Let's try that again. You are a penetrating shaft, all set to bury yourself into the bullseye. You are. Oh, shut up, Ed. Yeah, little editorial note probably <laughs> arriving at just a lot, just the right time. But lastly, we have a horoscope for Dionysus, whose date range is the 30th of February through to the 31st of March. And the horoscope says Dionys- Dionysians. Dionysians? <laughs> Dionys. Yeah, yeah, Dean. Dean. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Dionysians will have big problems at this time, partly due to the fact that they don't exist, but mainly because Bacchanalian orgies and frenzied dancing to relentless tribal drumming are definitely out at the moment. <laughs> well, God damn it, Games Master Horoscopes, when are they going to be back in? <laughs> 
Well, let's find out what is previewed in the next issue, which we're not going to be doing a review of. We're not going to do this for every single issue. Um, but in next month, it's a packed old issue with Alien vs. Predator, BC Kid, Chaos Engine, Cool World, Crash Dummies, Spider-Man 2, Super Star Wars, Terminator 2 the Arcade Game, and Wing Commander. And the issue will be available on the 21st of January, 1993. And something on this page that I forgot existed was a little slip that you could give to the news agent to reserve your copy yes please mate we won't be doing this sort of coverage of an issue again but we will be dipping into games master magazine as they appear they will become one of the rotating cast of multi-format magazines that we look at next big launch will be edge well there it is that's the first issue of games master ash what did you make of it I think it's aged remarkably well compared to some magazines. There was definite humour that fell in line with the kind of slightly juvenile nature of the TV show. And that's not a complaint. That's just an observation. I'm not above a knob joke. It's fine. (laughs) Leaving aside controversial scores of blue hedgehogs... I thought the reviews were nicely balanced. They didn't just review the big games. They also did review games and give warnings as to not to buy them, like pit fighter they didn't just cover the latest and greatest consoles there was also coverage in there for the nes and the master system and the atari links the hint section was good the news section was good dominic's big purple column was fun to get to grips with overall i am looking forward to being able to dip into this magazine more in the future it's a breath of fresh air and its ties to the tv show will become more meaningful the further we go i enjoyed it actually it was fun to dive back into this and kind of see the world in 1992 and see the games that they were previewing i thought the news section had some really interesting stuff in there some cool previews like as i said throughout this i really enjoyed the big spread previews like that big preview of james pond and when you get into the consultation zone stuff the big multi-page spreads of like how to beat these games and that extends into the reviews as well we didn't talk about the sports games but there's massive coverage of madden 93 and joe montagna 93 i think it's a really good first issue not only that actually i think the style of the magazine is really nice as well i think it's a really nice layout to it i was just going to mention that because it's worth mentioning that the layout of the magazine and the trappings and the formattings and the overlays are inspired by the games master series of the time for now we've got the pixelated pipe work of the games rig the stuff that you see surrounding patrick moore as he is being the games master and as the seasons evolve so will the look of the magazine. And also, while we talk about the design, there is one key feature of this magazine that we haven't touched upon at all, and that is almost every page that is actual magazine content rather than adverts has sidebars, little vertical sidebars that contain one or two line sentences. Some of them will be observations or quips, probably editorial based on what's on the page. Others will be little hints, competitions. It's added value it doesn't really take up much in the way of space because it literally falls in the margins but it's a lovely little extra feature i really appreciated it and i had fun as i was going through just looking at some of these comments like uh, during the feature on crusty's super fun house there was a sidebar on the difference between mice and rats yeah the one that caught my eye was the sonic 2 one that said tells is actually on the run from the royal gloucestershire fox hunt of which robotnik is a founding member having grown up in gloucestershire i can believe it (laughs) so yeah so i really enjoyed it the sonic 2 thing is you know we've we've kind of talked about an ad nauseum on this show at this point the 65 percent i don't agree with but you 
you've got to agree with the the points that they make on there but you know what overall yeah i really really enjoyed this first issue of game smash i'm really looking forward to diving into it as we do the magazine sections throughout the rest of the run of this podcast so i don't think we can really give it a score but last page next month's issue there's that little form you can clip out to get the news agent to reserve or deliver you a copy the next month would you be clipping it out one hundred percent what about you absolutely i might even be skipping to page 94 and checking out the subscription price i believe it's only 19.95 for a year's worth of magazines which feels like astounding value when you look at what games magazines cost now <laughs> but i think that about wraps it up for this special look at games master issue one thank you all so much for listening downloading please do consider giving us a rating and review on itunes we really enjoy hearing from you we've had some really lovely reviews left recently particularly from stevie d triple who called it a great podcast who actually found us through the retro hour podcast so thank you very much digi 999 who said as an brilliant podcast nostalgia done right and 20 sen who said it's a superb podcast so thank you all so much for those of you who've read a rating and review and a special shout out to our ten dollar patreon backers adam adam cliff rich gordon william and misha thank you so much for your support over on patreon indeed and by this point all of you bar the person in canada maybe <laughs> should have your patreon merch backer packs we have a couple more ready to go so if you're hearing this and you want to jump on board get episodes a week early and ad free and get a mug some badges some stickers a discount code for our first t-shirt and some sweets and some pogs (laughs) you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod and sign up there And if you don't want tat in your house, which to be fair, decluttering is definitely a thing in today's society, but you do want the episodes a week early and ad-free, you can back us at the £5 level. And if you just want to show your support and get the nod and the wink from us, you can throw us a quid. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. You can also find us on the social media channels at underconsolepod on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at under.console. And if you want to send some feedback to the show, email us feedback at underconsultation.com. And I think that about wraps it up for this episode. We'll be back into the main timeline, jumping into 1993 with next week's episode. Until then, take care. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.